Our Father, as we come to your word today, Father, teach us to be more than hearers. Teach us to be heeders, people who heed your word. Teach us to be people who obey your word and seek to glorify you in all that we do for the glory of Christ. Amen. Well, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 8. If you got one of our Bibles from out in the foyer, it would be page uh, 864. Page 864 if you've got one of the Bibles from out there. Luke chapter 8. Uh, we're going to be continuing our study of the parables as we do every first Sunday of the month today. And I wanted to start off with something, something that relates to you guys that you can carry through the new year and something that, that would be a, a great way to start the new year off. And that is by talking about hearing. Hearing is very, very important. In fact, you might say that from a biblical perspective, hearing is your most important function, your most important of your five senses. After all, we all can concur that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ But here's the question, how does God instill faith in his people? How does God plant a seed of faith in your heart and cause it to grow? Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 13 to 17. Romans chapter 10 verses 13 to 17 say this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, let's just pause for a second. We recognize that that's very important. This is going to be very important because he's talking about salvation. He's talking about coming to faith here. He says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear it without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So, faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. Faith comes through hearing. And yet, we all recognize that to hear is very different from listening. You can sit in here and you can hear everything I say, but that doesn't mean that you've listened to everything that I've said. You can listen to what God's Word says, and it's different from hearing it, because we recognize that to hear is kind of, kind of a passive thing. You, you, it, it can kind of just go in one ear and out the other, and you've heard it. It's registered. The sound waves have traveled through your ear canal and into your, into your, uh, into your eardrum, but that's different from listening. Listening is active. Hearing is is passive. Listening is active. And yet, we tend to use those terms fairly interchangeably, and actually so does the Bible. Biblically, the concept of hearing isn't just letting it go into your ear canal. It's actually listening. Hearing, biblically, includes heeding. Hearing includes heeding. To hear without heeding is to fail to truly hear, because the difference is you haven't listened if you haven't heeded. And that's why James would say, be doers of the Word and not listeners only deceiving yourselves. The implication of what he says there is that if the Word of God is presented to you, if the Word of God is preached to you, and it has no effect on your life, if it doesn't change you, if it doesn't convict you, if it doesn't transform you into the likeness of Christ, one iota, you are deceiving yourselves. If, if, when the Word of God is preached, it makes no change in your life. To hear without heeding is to deceive yourself. Almost every book in the Bible contains some reference or another to the importance of of hearing and obeying, hearing and heeding. This is God's Word. The Bible is God's Word. From beginning to end, that's how it refers to itself. This is the Word of God. We We see many times in the prophets, they say, thus saith the Lord. 
It's the Word of God. This is, the, the, the Word of God isn't necessarily what you, what you think God might think or what God might say. It's not necessarily what you value. It's not necessarily even what you like. It is what Scripture says. It's the Bible. And one of the most certain pieces of evidence that a person has truly been born again is that they love the Word of God. That is totally contrary to fallen man's nature, to love the Word of God. And so one of the greatest pieces of evidence that God has given you a new nature is that you love God's Word. And not only that you love God's Word, but that you crave God's Word and that you are willing to obey God's Word. How do you respond when the Bible stops you in your tracks and says, you're not supposed to do this? Obedience is one of the clearest signs that you have been born again. But conversely, one of the clearest pieces of evidence that a person has not truly been reborn is that they don't love the Word of God. They don't crave the Word of God. They don't desire to earnestly obey God's Word. Instead, when the Word of God comes to them, they hate it. They hate it. They stand against you. The person who says, the person who says, I know that the Bible says not to do this, but I'm going to do this anyway. I'm just going to go ahead and do it anyway. That person has no basis for believing that they are born again, biblically speaking. That's the type of attitude that will land a person in front of Christ on the day of judgment only to hear him say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. As your pastor, I desire for you to not only come to faith, if you haven't already, but for you to grow in your faith. And here's the great thing about the Word of God. Not only does hearing it instill faith in you, not only does hearing it cause you to have faith, but it also grows you in your faith. This is the means by which God has ordained that you will grow in your walk with Christ. And so as your pastor, not only do I desire for you to grow, not only do I desire for you to have a stronger, stronger faith, but I also put a lot of time and effort into preaching the full counsel of God because that's what I want for you, for you to grow. And yet, I am completely aware of the fact that even if I were to preach the best sermon of my life, let's take it a step further, even if I were to preach the best sermon ever, which ain't going to happen, but the best sermon of my life, even if I were to preach the best sermon, it would be to no avail. It would be completely worthless if it fell on ears that did not hear, if nobody is listening. And so, as we continue our study of the parables today, I want to start the new year off with uh, a parable that deals with how you respond to the Word of God. And so, let's look at uh, Luke chapter 8. If you're there, Luke chapter 8. Uh, we'll, we'll start with verses uh, 4 to 8, but we'll, we'll be moving on beyond that as well. Luke says this, And when a great crowd was gathering... And people from town after town came to him. He, speaking of Jesus here, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded. A hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, whenever Jesus says that, we need to understand he's not saying if you have an ear attached to your head, listen. He's talking about the ears of the heart, he's talking about hearing it with your heart. This is perhaps one of the most important things that Jesus ever taught. It's at least the most important of all the parables. After Jesus gave this parable, Mark tells us that the disciples were completely baffled. They had no idea why Jesus just gave them a lesson on agriculture and planting. 
and what that might have to do with their lives. And so they, they, they talked among themselves and they were trying to figure it out and nobody had any idea. And Mark told us that Jesus' response was to tell them that if you don't understand this parable, you're not going to understand the other parables either. And, there, and in fact, you might not understand anything in Scripture if you can't understand this parable. And so we need to be very careful with this parable. We need to make sure that we are taking our time and taking a good, deep look at this parable in order that we can understand what it says. And by understanding this, we can be sure that we will understand the others as well. So Jesus says there are four types of soil. There is hard soil. There is rocky soil. There is weed-infested soil. And then there is good soil. In this case, Jesus does explain what this parable means. Sometimes he explains what his parables mean, and sometimes he just leaves it and lets people figure it out. Some are going to know, some are not going to know what it means. But Jesus does explain this parable and what the soils represent. Look at verse 10 with me. Starting in verse 9, we see that the disciples are confused. It says, and when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, verse 10, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. And so what we need to understand is that there are two types of people that Jesus is preaching to. Some to whom the parables are revealed some to whom the parables are concealed. But Jesus says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. Who is you in that context? Who is he talking to? He's not talking to Pharisees. He's not talking to people who have rejected him. He's talking to his disciples. Verse 9 tells us who he's talking to. He's talking to those who are following him. And to those who follow Him, He has given the secrets of the kingdom. It's for them to know the secrets of the kingdom. But then He says, there's a contrast there. He says, but for others, they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. And so there are some people from whom the meaning of the parables is hidden. There are some people whom Jesus does not want to understand the parables. And who would that be? That would be the Pharisees, among others. As a bigger classification, it would be those who have continued to rebel against God. Those who have continued to reject His Son. Those who have continued to defy everything that God has instructed of them. Those who remain steadfast in their resolve to rebel against and reject God. Look at verse 11. In verse 11, Jesus starts unpacking this parable, explaining to the disciples what it means. And He gives them the key to properly understanding this parable here in verse 11. He says, now the parable is this. The seed is the Word of God. The seed is the Word of God. What does that mean? It means He's talking about preaching. He's talking about how somebody responds when the Word of God is preached to them. How they answer. How they respond when the Word of God confronts them. You see, agriculture was very prominent. It was, it was a huge industry in first century Palestine, first century Israel, uh, early Jewish life. They relied heavily, heavily on agriculture for their very existence. It provided food first and foremost. They needed food and it provided. And secondly, it provided jobs. Those who maybe didn't have a, a huge amount of land that they could, uh, that they could put a, a harvest on, put, a, put a, a field of crops on, they would go out and work in the fields. And so it provided jobs. It provided wages for, the, for the, the, the first century Jews, for many of the first century Jews. And so everyone would have been familiar with the process of how you plant and how you grow produce, crops, fruit. The farmer would start off 
walking along a path. He'd put a, uh, he'd put a big satchel across his, across his torso, and he'd fill the bag with seeds. And as he's walking along, he's reaching out and throwing seeds. He's just walking along these paths in between the fields and throwing seeds as a means of planting his crops. Now, that's very different from how we do it in our day and age, obviously. We have these huge machines that'll you know, go across a field and it'll plow up the field. It'll till the soil, preparing the soil to, be, uh, to, to harvest a good, uh, a good crop. Uh, and, and it'll plant the seeds at a very precise depth. Not so in first century Israel. The process was very, very imprecise. It was just tossing seed. But first century Palestine was filled with fields. These fields were, you know, provided their livelihood. So first century Palestine was filled with fields. They didn't separate the fields with walls. They didn't separate the fields with fences like you might see today. No, they separated the fields with paths. And these paths would get a lot of foot traffic. Not only would the farmer you know, go back and forth on these paths as he was uh, planting his seeds, but people would travel from one location to the other by taking these paths that went between the fields. And so it's kind of like if you were to go up to the Tulip Festival here in the fall. That ground is really hard. If you fall on that ground, I don't imagine that there would be a lot of difference between falling on the ground up there and falling on the sidewalk. You know, it's, it's hard as concrete. That is some hard soil because of the foot traffic. And so Jesus says, for the first, first seed, he says, as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air devoured it. Because the soil was so hard, the seed in first century Palestine, the, the seed that fell on this soil, could not penetrate the soil. The ground was, was rock hard, and so what happened is it got trampled. The seed would just get trampled, and when a seed gets trampled, it's not going to produce anything. Any seed that didn't get trampled, any seed that was remaining, would get eaten by the birds. Jesus explains this soil in verse 12. He says, The ones along the path are those who have heard... And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. So Jesus is saying that there are certain people that when they hear the word of God preached, they are hearing with hearts that are hard. They're preaching, the, the, the preaching is met with a heart that is rock hard, cold as ice. It's impenetrable as concrete as the soil on these paths in first century Israel. These are people, maybe they come to church every week. Maybe they don't come to church every week. Maybe they just come once in a while, a few times a year. Maybe they just come on Christmas and Easter. But the point is that when they come in, no matter how often they come, they couldn't care less about the Word of God. It just has no effect on their lives whatsoever. It, it, it makes no difference to them one way or the other. And so when the Word of God is preached, it doesn't even phase them. It doesn't convict them. It doesn't cause them to feel a sense of guilt or remorse. It doesn't change them. The Word of God may be preached faithfully, but it's like a seed landing in the middle of the I-5 freeway. Now, if you guys can imagine a seed falling on the I-5 freeway, Today, what are the odds that by next week it'll be sprouting up? Zero. Zero. Why? Because it'll be trampled by traffic. Or maybe it'll be kind of blown to the side and it'll be eaten by birds and other animals. There's no chance that a seed that lands on I-5 is going to produce any fruit. As foot traffic hardens the ground of these paths, sin hardens the heart of fallen man so that when the Word of God is preached to him, it looks like a marble bouncing off of concrete. If you can imagine that. That's the effect that the Word of God has on their heart. It just bounces right off. It doesn't penetrate at all. Sin causes a shield of armor to surround the heart 
And thus the person feels no remorse for their sin. They feel no brokenness about their sin. They see no need for repentance. They feel no guilt, no shame. And the Word of God, therefore, produces zero change in their lives. It produces no fruit. If anything, the one change that the preaching of the Word of God can have upon a heart like this is it will harden the heart. It will harden the heart. It will cause the person to increase their resolve to live for their own glory, for their own pleasure. It will increase their resolve to stand against God. They will suppress the truth in unrighteousness as the Word of God is trampled by a marching parade of sinful thoughts and desires that goes through their heart. And Jesus says that Satan hovers above such a heart. That's what the person welcomes. Satan hovering above the heart, plucking the seed from the cold hard surface, keeping the person in bondage to sin. Keeping the person from seeing how desperately they need a Savior. Keeping the person from seeing how deeply they have offended God and how separated they are from Him. Keeping the person from beholding the glory of Christ. The same sun that melts wax will also harden clay. The same Word of God that might melt one heart in repentance will only harden another heart. And so the question that we have to ask ourselves, is this your heart? Is this describing your heart? When you hear the Word of God, does this describe you? Is this how your heart responds? Is it cold? Is it distant from God? Is it hard, hardened toward God? Does the Word of God have any effect on you whatsoever? The second soil. Look at verse 6. The second soil is rocky soil. Jesus says, And some fell on the rock, and as it grew, it withered away because it had no moisture. This isn't talking about good soil that has rocks on top of it. The, the farmers would do the hard work of clearing off the rocks that were on the surface. No, first century Israel, and Israel today, they've got a layer of limestone that runs underneath the land. And sometimes it's several feet down. Sometimes it jets out, so it, it comes out above the ground. And sometimes it's only an inch or two inches beneath the surface of the soil. So this is talking about that type of of soil. There's a layer of rock, maybe an inch or two inches down. And so what happens when you plant a seed is that the seed will start to produce something, but once the roots hit the, hit the rock, it can't go any further. And because it can't go any further, it can't produce uh, enough, enough balance or enough strength to keep the plant standing. And it can't go deep enough to absorb the type of moisture, the amount of moisture that it would need in order to survive. And so because the roots can't support the weight of the plant, and because the roots don't, uh, don't reach sufficient moisture, the plant would die before it produces fruit. Look at verse 13. Jesus explains this, par this part of the parable in verse 13. He says, And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in time of testing fall away. The rocky soil is a picture of those who when they hear the Word of God preached, they, they initially respond with, with joy. They, they initially have a very enthusiastic response. But when trials and tribulations come, they don't have depth in their faith. And so, they wither. Their faith withers and dies. Now sometimes this is the re result of very, very poor, erroneous preaching. If you ever hear a pastor say, you know, who, who wants to go to heaven? Let's, let's say a prayer together. He'll get an enthusiastic response. But that's not exactly the full counsel of God when it comes to salvation. If a pastor faithfully proclaims, 
if you want to deny yourself, take up your cross, put your sin to death daily, then let's pray to God. Let's pray that He will have mercy upon you. Now that's biblically accurate, but He's not going to get the enthusiastic response that the first will. Although He is correctly insinuating that there is a cost to following Jesus. And so maybe the enthusiasm is a result of poor preaching. Maybe it's the result of manipulative preaching. A preacher who says, you know, I want you to have your best life now. So let's, let's say this prayer together and you can have your best life now. You know, That's manipulative preaching. So maybe it's because of bad preaching. More likely, it's because in the moment, the person realized. They, they got a glimpse of their need for a Savior. They, they got just a, a glimpse of the fact that this is the right thing to do, that following Jesus is the right thing to do, that Jesus really is worthy of our praise and worship. But he fails to count the cost of following Jesus. He doesn't realize, maybe, that being a Christian doesn't mean having your best life now. It means your best life is to come. It means you're going to enjoy eternity. And right now, there may, there may be trials and tribulations. Jesus promised there will be troubles. In this world, you will have troubles. And so what happens is they end up spending their, their time in church waiting in the kiddie pool of Christianity until a wave of affliction or a wave of trials comes upon them. And as soon as they get tested, they jump out of the kiddie pool and they decide that they'd like to try something easier like trying to climb Mount Everest. And that's not an exaggeration. It is easier for the person with this type of faith to climb Mount Everest than it is for them to follow Jesus. This is the type of person who might say, I'm here for the blessings. I'm just here for the blessings. I thought, when I came to Christ, they told me that God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. This isn't wonderful. This is costing me my job. This is costing me my wife. This is costing me my friends. This is costing me everything. That's not what I signed up for. As soon as they get tested, they fall away. And this is a sad, sad situation. This is a frightening situation situation. I've personally known people like this that are dear to my heart, and I've seen this happen in their lives. Sometimes it's a child who says a prayer in Sunday school, but they don't realize that someday testing will come. There will be a cost to following Jesus. These are people who seem on the surface like they are real Christians, like they are really following Jesus, but they only seem like that for a season. As soon as the season changes and the leaves start to fall away, they do too. They do too. The emotional high that they may have had initially is gone. And so there's nothing to sustain them in their faith. And in the end, they reject the Word of God before they've even had a chance to bear fruit. And so they end up living for the sake of self-preservation. They end up living for themselves. They end up living for their happiness, their satisfaction, and their glory rather than the glory of Christ. Again, the question that we have to ask ourselves when we read this is, is that you? Is there depth to your faith? Do you like shallow preaching? that doesn't produce deep enough roots? Do you like a shallow faith? Is your heart shallow to the Word of God? What's going to happen when you realize that there is a cost to following Jesus? Are you going to take the easy way out? Are you going to do whatever you can to avoid the affliction or the trial or the tribulation, including abandoning your faith in Christ? That's what he's talking about here. This is a reality that some people have such a shallow faith that when even the slightest trial comes, they fall away. Is your faith shallow? 
Is your faith artificial, superficial? The third soil. Look at verse 7. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up, uh, grew up with it and choked it. Weeds. He's talking about weeds. Weeds grow so fast. Anybody in here who's tried gardening knows exactly how that works. You can plant a good seed, but man, that soil is going to produce weeds faster than anything else. And so you have to stay on top of it because weeds will grow faster than good crops, good seeds. And so what happened with this type of seed is because it's planted among thorns and thistles and weeds, these weeds would grow above it so that it could not get any sunshine once it started to sprout a, uh, put a sprout out. It couldn't get any sunshine, and the roots would crowd out the roots of the good plant, and so as a result, the life of the good plant is choked out. Good plants can't grow well among thistles and weeds. Jesus explains this in verse 14. Verse 14, he says, And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Again, these are people who look like real Christians. They've made some kind of profession of faith. Maybe they've said the sinner's prayer. Maybe they've said it 30 or 40 times. But it's not real. It's not real. There are three things that choke out the Word of God in this type of person's heart. First, Jesus says, the cares of life. This could be anything. What do you care about? What do you value in your life? For one person, you know, maybe it's their job. Their, their job requires so much of them that they, they just don't have time for Jesus. they've got their calendar all filled up and so as they look at it, they say, man, I've got no time to go to church. I've got no time to read the Word of God. I've got no time to hear the Word of God being taught. For another person, maybe it's not their job. Maybe it's their family. Maybe it's sports. For another person, maybe it could be, it could even be sleeping in on Sunday mornings. It could be absolutely anything. This is talking about the person who values anything anything in the world, including your family, more than Jesus. Jesus said, the person who follows me has to hate his mother and father and brothers and sisters. He's not talking about really hating. He's saying that the love that you have to have for him to be a follower of his has to be so great that in comparison, the love that you would have for the people that you are most inclined to love, mother, father, brothers, sisters, wives, husbands, needs to look like hatred in comparison. So it could be anything. Anything that you put at the front of your mind, at the top of your list of your priorities in life above and beyond Jesus. The second thing is riches. Riches can choke the Word of God out, rendering it ineffective, ineffective in your life. Imagine the salesman who realizes that if he's going to truly obey Jesus, if he's truly going to follow Jesus, it's going to require that he become an honest person and tell the truth about the defects of the product he might be selling. And so, instead of following Jesus and making less money, he pursues the option that will bring him more money. Instead of pursuing Jesus, they pursue the option that's going to give them the bigger job. Instead of pursuing Jesus, they pursue an option that's going to give them a bigger house, a bigger lifestyle, a bigger name, more influence, anything. Third thing is the pleasures of life. This is the type of person who never saw Jesus as their greatest treasure who did not desire Jesus more than anything. And because He wasn't their greatest treasure, they found no pleasure in following Him. Friends, the Word will change your life. 
But the world is competing with the Word. It's competing with God for the priorities that you have in your life. And there are some people who initially make some sort of artificial commitment to following Jesus. And they end up giving their loyalty to the world. They end up pursuing the things of the world. They trade their mansion in heaven for a used outhouse on earth. Even the best life is a used outhouse in comparison to the glories of Christ in heaven. And so this person ends up in hell. They start off strong. They start off coming to church, but then they get distracted and they start showing up less and less and less. And they become preoccupied with something else. Something else has become their top priority in life. And so first they become preoccupied. Then they become consumed with it and it's taking more and more and more of their time. And before you know it, they are obsessed with whatever it is and they will not relinquish the top spot of their value and priority list to Christ. Their heart is as far away from God, further away from God than the earth is from the sun. And this person doesn't care because they are living their best life now. The question that we have to ask again is, is this your heart? Is Jesus talking about your heart here? Is there something? Is there anything that you value more than Jesus? Is there anything that you would rather give your heart to before you give it to Jesus? Are you concerned more with your earthly treasure than you are with Jesus? Are you concerned more with with worldly, temporal pleasure than you are in God's Word? Is there anything that you value more than Jesus? That's what it comes down to. Because whatever it is, it doesn't matter if it's the best thing in the world. Family's good. Jobs are good. Having a house is good. Those things are all good things when they're in their proper place. Once they start choking out the Word of God in your life, they are evil. And so, you have to examine your priorities. What do you value? And how much do you value those things in comparison to the way you value Jesus? Because He won't take second place. And He's not worthy of second place. He deserves to be your top priority. The fourth soil is good soil. Let's look at verse 8. Jesus says, And some fell onto good soil, and it grew and yielded a hundredfold. This is not hard soil. This is not rocky soil. This is not weed-infested soil. This is soft. This is deep. This is undefiled, free of weeds. Jesus explains this this soil in verse 15. Look what He says in verse 15. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the Word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This is the only soil that produces fruit. Out of all these four soils, the thing that makes the good soil good is it produces fruit. It produces fruit. The other ones do not. And so this is a picture of the person who not only receives God's Word, they not only hear it, but they heed it. They listen to it. They do it. They aren't listeners only deceiving themselves. They are doers of the Word. And the result is that when they hear the Word of God, it changes their lives. When they hear the Word of God, it transforms them. They produce fruit. And this is ultimately the difference between the good soil and bad soil. Fruit. There is no such thing as a fruitless Christian. There's no such thing as stinky good fruit, spiritually speaking. 
There's good fruit and there's bad fruit. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, He's talking about people who believe falsely. And, and He's saying, this is how you'll identify somebody who believes falsely. Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. It's simple. There are only two categories. Good tree, good fruit. Bad tree, bad fruit. Friends, every sermon should change your life. Every sermon should produce fruit in your life. And a large part of that responsibility is on me. Because I've got to faithfully proclaim the Word of God. But some of that responsibility is also on you. Because even the best sermon ever given, whether that's by me or somebody else, is going to do nothing if it falls on ears that do not hear. Somebody who hears but does not heed. Every sermon should produce good fruit in your life. But if your heart is hard, if your heart is shallow, if your heart is distracted by other things, anything, it won't bear fruit in your lives. But, there's good news. Look at verse 18 with me. In verse 18, Jesus is still talking about this concept. He says, Take care then how you hear. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Take care then how you hear. Now, if a person was incapable of being changed, it would be pointless for him to say this. What would be the point of taking care if, uh, if my faith is stuck being rocky soil or, or hard soil like the path? What would be the point of him even saying this? No, he says this because the good news is that the hardened heart can be softened. The shallow heart can be deepened. The heart that is defiled by worldly desires can be purified. It can be, it can be cleansed. The thing that keeps good soil good, if you've done gardening, you know it, the thing that makes good, good soil good is that somebody does the hard work of cultivating the soil. Somebody does the hard work of preparing it. And so my challenge for you is to figure out what it would take to prepare your hearts so that when you come in here on Sunday mornings, you are ready, that the soil is good and it can produce fruit in your life. Now for some of you, you already read Scripture. For some of you, maybe you, you don't read it regularly or you don't read it regularly enough. Maybe you think that just coming to church on Sunday morning is, is good enough. It's not. It's not. Because I, I'm, I'm fallible and it's, this isn't enough to get you through the week. This is not enough to sustain your faith. You have to be in the Word regularly. For some of you, maybe you know, starting with three or five days a week would be a great place to start. Starting some type of, of Bible study. Start, starting some type of, of Bible reading plan. Something where you are exposing yourself on a regular basis to the Word of God. That's a great way to start cultivating a heart that is ready, that, it, that it's clean and prepared to receive the Word of God. What happens when you start reading Scripture more and more is that you will start to, to crave it more and more. You will learn to love it more and more. And that is like the, the best habit that you could ever have in your life is to rely on a steady supply of Scripture, reading it regularly. But that's not enough. That's not enough. You also have to have time to meditate on it. And so for some of you, you're already reading Scripture regularly maybe, but you're not spending any time. You, have, you don't have enough time in your life to actually let it sink in, to let it soak into the depths of your heart. And so maybe for the beginning of the new year, what you need to do is start thinking about where can, I, where can I start scheduling just a time to do nothing but meditate on the Word of God, letting it soak in, really dwelling on it and thinking about it and letting it penetrate my heart, the depths of my heart, and change my life. Because that's necessary. And I know that it's, it's so unnatural for us to just have a time where we don't do a whole lot 
For me, it's mowing the yard. When I mow the, I've, I've written so many sermons when I've been mowing the yard. Because it's like I'm, all I'm doing, I don't like looking at grass, but I can think about the Word of God. And so I'll start writing my sermon. I'll hit a, you know, kind of hit a wall, and I'll say, well, I'm going to go out and mow the yard. And by the time I'm done, I've got my sermon. It, that's how it works. You've got to have time to meditate on the Word of God. Maybe it's your drive to work. Maybe it's just a half hour of doing nothing before bed, but reading Scripture and letting it just sink in. For others... Maybe you don't pray a whole lot. Maybe you're not a praying person. But if you want to cultivate your heart, I can't think of a whole lot of better things to do than pray. Pray. You're not sure what to read? Okay, pray. You're not sure where things are going in life? Okay, pray. Pray. Even if you think that everything is going great, Pray. Ask God to keep you humble. Ask God to continue growing you in the likeness of Christ. Pray for things that you know are His will as revealed in His Word. That's when you start to see answered prayer. How are you supposed to see answered prayer if you never pray? So some of, you, some of us need to start praying more often. Can't, can't forget also coming to church regularly. I'm not legalistic about coming to church. I understand that there are things that are going on in life. I understand that sometimes, like today, maybe the roads in your area of town are slick and so you can't come to church. Sometimes you wake up and and you're sick on Sunday morning. You know, I, I get it. There are things that happen. Life happens. But when you are available, come to church regularly. You know, we're going through through book studies. That's the way I preach. I go through books. And so if you if you miss a week, that's kind of like getting up in the middle of a movie and going out and uh, you know getting, getting your popcorn in the middle of a movie, not before, and so you come back and maybe you missed something really significant. So come to church regularly. The Bible instructs us to not forsake gathering together regularly. Uh, for some others, maybe you need to clean out the weeds and the rocks in your garden. I'm not talking about your physical garden. I'm talking about the garden of your heart. What do I mean? I mean confessing. Regularly. Not just once a week, once a month, once a year. No, confess them as you do them. Confess them as you sin. And repent daily. Repent and believe every day. That, that's, that's the core of the Christian life is to repent and believe because your desires, your flesh, and the Spirit are always at war with each other. So there is always something for you to repent of and to believe Christ instead. The final way to cultivate your heart. And I guess this ties in with with everything else in a sense, is to pray for the Holy Spirit to illuminate the text for you. Paul makes the point, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that a natural man, that is somebody who who isn't in Christ, somebody who doesn't have the new nature, somebody who doesn't have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them, is only going to understand natural things. If you try try to... talk about spiritual things with them, it's going to be like that marble bouncing off the concrete. They're, they're not going to get it. But on the other hand, Paul says, again, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that the spiritual man, the person who has the Holy Spirit in them, is able to understand, is able to receive and understand spiritual things. So the difference between somebody who can understand the text and cannot understand the text is the illumination of the Holy Spirit. And that's why even the most intelligent unbeliever, they can know everything that the Bible says, but that doesn't mean that they understand it. So pray. Pray that the Holy Spirit would not only illuminate the text for you so that you can understand it, but pray that He would give you the strength to do what it's asking you, what it's instructing you to do. Cultivate the soil of your heart regularly. Develop an appetite for God's Word. Reading Scripture throughout the week, that just whets your appetite so that when you come in here, you are ready to feast on a meal of God's Word. God's Word, friends, it has the power to change your lives. 
It has the power to transform your lives. It has the power to grow you in the likeness of Christ. And God has ordained that this is not only the means by which you come to faith, but this is the way you grow. This is the way you grow. The Word of God. Exposing yourself continually to the Word of God. So cultivate the soil. Hearing the Word of God has the power to bring you to faith. Hearing the Word of God has the power to grow you in your faith. There are no easy shortcuts. But if you will look to Christ, if you will keep the eyes of your heart focused on Christ, who took your sin upon Himself and bore the wrath of God as your substitute in your place, if you can keep your eyes fixed on Him and on His Word, He will produce in you a strong, strong faith. Not one that's hard. Not one that's shallow. Not one that's distracted. One that produces fruit and endures. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for Your Word. And we thank You, Lord, that it has the power not only to bring us to faith, but to continue growing our faith, to grow us in the likeness of Christ. And it would be impossible for us to live for the glory of Christ on our own apart from the Holy Spirit. And so we thank You, God, for the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. We thank You that He illuminates the text so that we may see and understand and be more than just hearers of Your Word, but doers of Your Word. Father, we do pray that Your Word would convict us. Teach us what would be necessary, Lord, for us to cultivate our hearts, the soil of our hearts, so that the Word that we hear, the Word that we see, that we read, may produce an abundant harvest of good fruit in our lives. Fruit that is born for the glory of Christ that he may be exalted in our lives above everything else. It's in his name we pray. Amen. This message has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org. We are a listener-supported ministry. If this is your first time listening to us, we thank you so much for joining us and we ask nothing further from you. But if this is a ministry that you rely on for regular spiritual teaching, we do depend on your financial support to keep us going and growing. If you'd like to make a donation to BibleStudyPodcast.org to keep us going and reaching thousands of people around the world, you can go to our website, BibleStudyPodcasts.org, and you can make a donation on the right-hand side by clicking on the support box. Again, we do rely on your support, and we thank you so much for your financial participation in this ministry, which enables us to continue in our mission of teaching timeless truths in these truthless times. God bless you. Thank you so much for listening today, and keep growing closer to Jesus. Take me deeper.